Our Christmas trees are up. Our Christmas lights are up outside. But are we prepared to see the Christ? You know, we're doing the outward signs, but, but are we doing the inward signs? Is Christ number one in your heart? Because pre- being prepared is it's done. Christ is Lord of my life. He's number one. So Christmas time is just a, an extra celebration because we're celebrating him all year round. Are you with me today? So with the, the service that we're, the scripture that's already been read, the film that's been read, we're talking about Herod today. And I want to make clear today that, that, that Herod and, and the wise men and all that story that we've read and talked about took place probably uh, six months to, to two years after the Christ was born. And, and so many times we just kind of shove it all in there in the middle, but all the stories are important and you're going to see that, that, that through what I say today, this is an unbelievable story. And when I say story, I mean true story. This happened. And, it, and it's beautiful, but most likely happened a couple years after the Christ was born. Regardless, it was after the Christ was born. But anyway, we see that through this story, three types of people found in the Scripture. And, and where they were at in their preparation for the Christ to come. We had King Herod in the Scripture that said that he was troubled. He was troubled because his kingdom was threatened. King Herod was appointed by the Roman Empire. He wasn't appointed by the Jews or by God. He was appointed by the Roman Empire. And so he was threatened when he heard that, hey, there is a king of the Jews that's been born. So his life was threatened, and he was an evil man, and he would kill Christ if he found him. And we'll get into that a little bit later. But that's the first person, and I believe that that nothing has changed. I don't believe that people has changed over 2,000 years, we all still respond these same three ways. There may be people in this room today that if, if Christ threatens their, their lifestyle, then they don't want nothing to do with him and they want him out of their life. Christ isn't going to do this. I'm ruler of my life. You know, the next person that is in here is the, is the Magi's. You know, the Magi's, they were pursuing Christ for two years and, and giving up their lives, their families, all these things to pursue the Christ, to find the Christ, to worship the Christ. Man, they were going after him. They were wanting him. And so we see their preparation. So on one extreme, we want the Christ dead because he's threatening our life. On the other side of preparation, we see, hey, we want Christ all over our life, all the time. I'm going to give up my family, my friends, my nation, everything. I'm going to go look for him. But then also in the middle of there, you got the priests and the scribes. You see that in the scripture that, that, that Herod heard about the Christ, so now he's not trying to find out. So he's went to the priest and the, and, and the scribes, that, the Jewish leaders, his friends probably, and he said, tell me about that. And they shared scripture with him, and they talk about the scripture, but why weren't they with the Christ? They knew the word of God, they knew the prophecies just the same way as everybody else, but they weren't seeking the Christ. So in their preparation time, they were in the middle. And so you see three stages there. One extreme, I don't want nothing to do with the Christ. We have the ones in the middle that are neutral, and then we have the ones that are sold out for Christ. To be under the anointing and, and see this powerful outpouring of the Holy Spirit that Jim talked about and we talked about, it's going to happen. 
But for you, whether you're involved or not determines on where you're at in this time, in that walk. Whether you want it in your life. So as we go through these three things today, I'll break these things down a little bit more. But we're going to start out with Herod. King Herod was troubled, the word said in verse 3, because the Christ threatened his lifestyle and he was out to kill him. The video demonstrates that evil, that barbaric, that political, manipulative uh, uh, person, be honest with you, led by Satan, I believe, to the, he had given in to that and he wanted to kill the Christ. Well, Herod was appointed king in 40 BC by the Roman Empire. The reason that he was appointed king, again, he was a Jew. But he was appointed king because he was serving as a governor and there's a Jewish uprising and they tried to come against Rome. He thwarted it before it happened. That appeased the Romans. They liked that. Man, one of their own got him stopped. One of their own, you know, kept them from being a problem. Rome just wanted the wealth and the prosperity of the area and peace. So what they did is they called these people like Herod client rulers. When you look up client rulers, there were those in authority who chose to align with a military superpower, such as Rome, rather than become the next victim in battle. As long as he, or he kept Rome in power, he could do whatever he wanted. And that's the way that, that, that Herod run his life from then on. For 33 years, he ruled harshly and with great impact on the Jewish people. He knew that if he displeased Rome, the world, that he could be prosperous and be a powerful man on this earth. And so he was doing anything in his life to see that happen. He was harsh about it. He killed his favorite wife. Got tired of his wife, so he knocked her off, killed her. He killed his sons. He killed other people in his life that threatened his firm grip on his kingdom. He was a wealthy person, wealthy beyond all comprehension. And he, if you go back and read history, he rebuilt the temple. He did a lot of things, but he taxed the people harshly. And as long as you got along with him, if, if times got tough and, and Roger come up to me, hey, pastor, times are tough. Uh, Roger agrees with me, so I'm going to help Roger out. But Todd comes up to me and he says, hey, pastor, we're hurting, we're tight. Well, Todd, you haven't been really behind me. Then I let him suffer. So he was pushing the world and his people to follow him and be obedient to him and be obedient to the Roman power, meaning the world. Herod is threatened by the Christ. He's been hearing about it. He called his chief priest in and, 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 and rabbis that we talked about. And now he's called in the, the mad guy because he was threatened by Christ. He'd worked too hard and too with politics and the military and all these things to give up his new position as king. But he wasn't the king. And I think deep down inside he knew that. And he knew it was going to be a tough thing to hold on. But he tried to manipulate the Magi into to finding the king and to report to him. And we're going to talk to you later about what happened there. They didn't report back. So because they didn't report back, Herod decides that he's going to just wipe out every kid two years and below. Wipe them all out. And so we read up and we pick up Matthew 2, 16 and 18. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise man, became furious. In other words, he got so caught up in his place, in his position in society, in his world, that fury took over. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem 
in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had asserted from the wise man. Two years and below. That's where I was getting this happened, probably two years after the Christ was born. Murdered babies. But Herod died a horrible death. And Jehephus writes about a writer of those days on his records. Herod died of this ulcerated entrails, petrified and maggot-filled organs, constant convulsions, foul breath, and neither physical nor warm baths would lead to recovery. He let his life, his idea of life, consume him. It ruled him. And it killed him. Now, when we look at all this today, I'm comparing that to, to three types of people that could be in even this room today. I don't think any of us are at the point where we're going to kill someone to protect our lifestyle. But yet, when you watch the news and stuff, people are murdered all the time. And you get to looking at it, and it's because somebody took their car or somebody kicked their dog. I mean, it's the stupidest things that people are murdering other people for because it affects their lifestyle, the way of life. In the day when the stock markets crashed, people would murder themselves. They would kill themselves. But that's where the Lord really hit me with this morning is that, that maybe we're not one that would kill somebody else. But, but when we began to lose hope and our lifestyle begins to change and, and our worthiness begins to change, if we're looking to the world, then we can become suicidal. And the reason I say that, I see so many youth that they've been talked about on Facebook or whatever and they murder themselves because their lifestyle of being popular was tarnished. Or somebody said this or that. And so on that side of it, are we, are we to the point where we're trying to take our own life because our lifestyle has been threatened? Because we're trying to protect a lifestyle that's not Jesus. Maybe even as adults, and when we see that the financial loss or that loss of financial prosperity, does it devastate us to the point that we want to kill ourselves and live no longer? I hope and pray that none of us are in this first category. But I think a, a third part of this could be is I hope that you're not willing to give up God and family and friends for your own evil desires, for a protection of a sin that you're harboring, or for your job or your kingdom that you're building. But I see it all the time that men and women give up their families, their children, their church, and all these things trying to protect a lifestyle that's not centered around Christ. And as I was reading this morning out of James 4, 1, and it I don't, he might, he, Troy's changed some of the slides, but, but the Lord added some of this in today. But, but James says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you don't have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. To spend it on your own passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friends with this world is enemy with God? 
Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of this world makes himself an enemy of God. Our desires and our flesh can't rule us. But anyway, that's the first person that I see. We could talk on that scripture all day and just stop with it. But I want to move into the second one here. The Jewish priests and the scribes were what they called indifferent. And if you look up the word indifferent, so this is the second type of person that we could be if we're not careful. But indifferent means neutral. Basically, you're neither good or hot. They took a neutral stance. When you're in neutral, you're not going to be going anywhere. You'll be staying in that same place. This last week, we were, me and Landon were outside there and, and, and Landon laughed at me, by the way, and was making fun of me. But we're out here at the buses, and we were looking at a heater coil or something, that, trying to figure out why it wasn't working. And we figured that out. And so we go to the minibus, and we're getting ready to, to where they can move them whenever nativity setup comes in. And I get into the minibus, and, and I start it up, and boy, she hits right off and just purring like a kitten. I put it in drive. Roar! Didn't go nowhere. Roar! Didn't go nowhere. Look over there, and he's laughing at me because, you know, when you put something in gear and you expect to go, you're doing this. So I'm over here doing this, and I'm shaking all in the car, and he's over there laughing at me. And I thought, we're not going anywhere. Now, we weren't in neutral because it's an automatic, but I feared it was low on transmission fluid. So I got out, got the transmission fluid out of the other bus, and we only had probably three-quarters of a quart. We poured that in, and it warmed up a little bit, and guess what? It started moving. When we're in neutral, we can do nothing for God. But when we put the oil of the Holy Ghost into our life, we can begin to move for God. And that's what I believe the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all the people of God at that time, you know, they knew the word. And, and we see that in the scripture that, that Herod went to them and, and they said, he said, where's the Christ? Or Where, what's all this I'm hearing about? And they said, in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written in the prophet. And they began to quote the scripture. So they knew the prophets, they knew the scripture, they knew everything about it. But what bothered me is why weren't they looking for the, the, the Christ like the, the bad guy were? Why weren't they there? Why weren't they in Bethlehem that was 10 miles away or whatever they said in the video? Why weren't they there? And I believe it's because they loved their ways and positions more than seeking Christ. Herod wasn't pleased there, so he then calls in the bad guy. And we'll get into that here in a little bit. But the church, the pastors and Jesus, or the leaders, Jesus always talked about this. This has always been a problem with church people, pastors and leaders, is staying in close with God and not getting neutral. Jesus addressed this with the church of Laodicea when he said, I know your works, you're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot, meaning one or the other. Verse 16, so because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And so Jesus was calling out the church of Laodicea, and I think he was talking about churches would be that way in the last days, but, but he was saying and doing these things. And I thought to myself, as a pastor, I find myself many times in this category. We want to take the neutral stance. We want to say, you know, I'm going to pick my fights today. I don't really want to say anything. I'm just going to play it neutral here. And, and, and I don't want to get out of my comfort zone. I don't want to make a stand. And, and, and when I began to do that, 
I find myself drifting away from God. And if you guys watch the Pharisees and the Sadducees, these church leaders, at this time, they were neutral. They weren't really caught up into things. But guess who put Jesus on the cross? It was them. Because when we don't stay into Christ, we're going to keep backing up and backing up to the point where we're denying Christ. So neutral is a bad place to be in. You're not moving. You're just making a lot of noise. You know, it's, it's, I'm not talking to the unbeliever here today. Because Christ is quite clear in the scripture, and the Lord reiterated this to me this morning when I was praying about the service. But he reminded me, he said, only the believer can be lukewarm because the, old, the unsaved are just plain cold. They don't know Christ. So when, when he is talking about nobody else here but the believer. So don't sit out here and say, Pastor, you're taking this out of context because I'm not. He was talking to the church, the pastors, the leaders, the believers. Hebrews address this as well. And, and I think a lot of this comes about because we're not teachable. We don't want to change. We want to keep things the way they are. Well, Hebrews 5 talks about that if, if we have, uh, about this, we have much to say. I'm in Hebrews uh, uh, 5, chapter 11. About this, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of your hearing, meaning unteachable. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again and the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of, of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, the teachable. For those who have their, their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And I want us to really get into that because... The trained by constant practice to distinguish good and evil. We need to every day, every hour, be discerning everything as good and evil and moving forward to the good and walking away from the evil. There is no neutral line. It's either black or white. And our society has made it that way. And our society has convinced us that's just the way it is. And if that's the way you are, then it's just too bad. It can't change. That's the way I'm made. And it's easy to get into that, and I'm getting pumped today because the Lord has tied this service together. But Landon and I went to Joplin, and we we come back through Chick-fil-A. And, and man, and whether no matter what you think, I think Chick-fil-A is a taste of heaven on earth. Chick-fil-A is the way the church should be acting towards services and teach, being teachable. When you go in there, people treat you like you're worth something. It's just a good atmosphere. You feel good about yourself. Uh, I, I was going in there, and this old lady dropped a cup and a, and a straw. And, man, I didn't even bat an eye. I reached down, and I picked it up, put the straw in there, it's trash, and put it in the trash. And I went on about my business because I was helping. I mean, it didn't even doubt it. It felt so good in there. About then, this little old lady came up, and she tagged my shirt. And she goes, here. I'll give you this card so you can come back and get you a meal. And I said, oh, no, I don't want to do that. Oh, you're such a nice young man. I just want to do that for you. And I said, don't worry about it. That's the way it should be. And then I looked and saw her name tag there, and she worked there. And I said, yeah, I'll go ahead and take it. <laughs> but God was looking out for me, so I went home, and, and I had my Chick-fil-A. And, and my wife says, honey, every time I go to Chick-fil-A, you bring, I bring you something. Why didn't you bring it for me? And I said, Landon ate it. I did. And, but, but I remembered that card in my pocket. And I said, but honey, I got you a card instead. 
And so she's back there, I'm going to shoot you. But, but anyway, but when I look at that, and so we went in and we're sitting down and we're talking there about Chick-fil-A. And, and I just about said that, that there's no way they could have people working here like that unless that was just their gifts. And I began to look around. And there's probably, I kid you not, there's 15 outside working. There's probably 15, 20 inside, and I couldn't even see the cooks in the back. And I thought of my years at Freeman, I don't care how good I interviewed, you couldn't nail that many gifted people. And the Lord spoke to me is they trained them, all they had to do is be teachable. And the Lord spoke to me through all this here so many times. You say, oh, there's, there's a the gray line in there. No, there's not. We just need to learn to be teachable. We just need to learn that God has is, is given us all that we need to have to overcome good and evil. He has played it all out. All we need to do is be teachable. And all Chick-fil-A did was go in there and find a group of people that were teachable, and they trained them the way they wanted them to be, and they acted out. God is wanting a person that is teachable, that he can come in and train you for the things of God so that you can go out and do the great things of God. We just need to be teachable. And that's the key to everything we're talking about here today. We can think of an excuse to not do anything and play neutral. But we need to be teachable. They go over on into, I didn't do this the first service, Troy, so I don't know if you had a chance to get this up. But Hebrews 6.1 says, Therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, teachable, not laying again the foundation of repentance, works of faith, Instructions about washing, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal life. And what the Lord hit me when I was talking to Tina after the service this morning, and, and we were talking about things, and, and, and that's what Christ wants us to build on is the simple things of God. That's the simplest of the simplest, but how many pr- Christians are playing neutral in there? I don't know where I was last week, but I was in a Bible study somewhere in our church, and I can't remember where it was at, but the teacher said, is Jesus the only way to heaven? And everybody said, yes, he is, but I heard somebody say no. And the teacher didn't hear it, but I heard it. And, and that's a basic, fundamental doctrine of the things of God. The only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. And if we let ourselves listen to the evil side of that and begin to compromise, we're, we're in a bad place. But we got to know the word and be teachable. And so Hebrews 6 tells us these basic things that we can do to overcome this. I wasn't going to share this, but it's laying in here right now, and it did the first. But I'm going to get a little political with you. But we must obey God's word and do what is right. And most likely, it's not going to be popular. And people are going to think you're crazy, you're going to be stupid. When I was on a trip, I would post pictures of us on, 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 when we got Facebook or whatever at the ports. And I think Jamaica, you guys floored me. I think I got, me and Karen couldn't believe all the hits we got on a picture. And I just threw it up there. Comments, all that. Man, you guys were all into all my friends were into it. And it's more than this church. But all these hits and all these comments. And I put something up about the purple people eaters eating the falcons and I get three. Don't get very much on that. But you know who ranks even lower than that? President Trump came out the other day and said that Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. And all I did was put on there what John Hagee's response was. And I got two hits. Two likes. 
because people don't want to get involved. They want to be neutral. They don't want to make somebody mad. They don't want to do whatever. And I'm not up here promoting him. I'm not up here promoting anybody. I'm just trying to tell you if the word of God says it, we need to do it. And I began to think about that and and, and study that out. And that's the right thing that I believe he's done. Israel or Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. And the way I look at it is, is that he comes out and says that, and it does take us into war, which I think that the news media uses as a fear factor. But wouldn't you want to be on the side of God or the side of man? Does that make sense? And, and, and we need to be on the side of Scripture. And then I got to thinking about God says to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And, and he talks about that in Psalms 122, 6, Jeremiah 29, 7. And then I got to thinking, he's pray, saying, pray that there's peace in Jerusalem. Well, guess what? The Christ came out of Israel. The Christ came out of there. And who's the Christ? But peace. Peace came out of this nation. And, and, and we should support it for that on one reason. The Prince of Peace came out to serve us and to be with us. And that's the side I want to be on. And then the Lord spoke to me and he said, the only peace this world's going to know is going to come from Israel and Jerusalem because it's the Christ. And then you go over and you read the scriptures and Zechariah, when he's out and he's, he's talking about those that have opposed Israel, those that have come against Israel. And he says, for thus saith the Lord of hosts, after his glory sent me to the nations who plundered you, for he who, who touches you touches the apple of my eye. And what God is saying and through this prophet here is, is when you're coming against my people, it's the same as you poking me in the eye. And that's the word of God. It's time to stop being neutral. And I pray that none of us are in that spot. But it's a tough place to be. And I already told you how we get past it. We just follow the word of God, even when it's not popular. And if it comes to war, you want to be on the side of God. If it comes to a battle in your own home life, you want to be on the side of God. The third thing was the Magi. They were prepared to find and worship Jesus. They hung on to the prophet Jeremiah's word. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart from Jeremiah 29, 13. And, and I'd ask that you guys would turn your... Turn to Jeremiah 13 here in a second. I'm really going to hit it. But the Magi were taught. They were teachable. The Magi were looking for the light. The light was Christ. The scripture that we're standing on as a church in 2017 was a prophet Isaiah that I believe the Magi were standing on the same scripture when he said, Arise from the depression the prostration in which your circumstances have kept you rise to a new life. In other words, get past the neutral, get past the hatred of God, and arise and shine, be radiant with the glory of the Lord, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. The mad guy, I believe, got a hold of that scripture 
that, that prophet and what he said, they, they were, I believe they were taught and they fulfilled and, and, and it'll continue to be fulfilled more and more as the years go on. But, but they fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah 63 that all nations shall come to your light and the kings to the brightness of your rising. The Magi's were representing kings of the Gentile people. And they heard about that light. They were taught about that light. They saw that light, that star in the sky. They saw the light and brightness that would come from Jesus Christ. And they gave up two years of their life, their family, their friends, everything, to pursue that light and to be fulfilled for that light and to serve that light. Kings and nations were drawn and will be drawn. And they had been taught this. They anticipated the Christ. And a lot of you saying, Pastor, that, that, no, that's biblical. I don't know what you're talking about there. Magi were the descendants of Babylon. The Gentile men of power, I'm going to read this out of a commentary. The Gentiles men of power means and intellect had come from afar to worship and pay homage to this newborn king. For centuries they likely had heard about the coming Messiah from faithful Jewish people who had been in exile to the homelands the Magi sent of the Magi centuries before, back to the days of Daniel and Jeremiah. If you go back to those days and study, a king, as Jeremiah 21 says, Nebuchadnezzar came and besieged Israel. Jeremiah 21 says, Inquire of the Lord for us, for Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, is making war against us. Daniel said, In the third year of the reign of Jehoam, King of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it, Daniel 1.1. King Nebuchadnezzar came into Israel, drug all the people back to Babylon, and while in captivity, Daniel found favor with the Lord. We read in Daniel 2.47 and 48, the king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is a God of gods and Lord of kings and revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery Then the king gave Daniel his high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon, the chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel 27, 48. Daniel was an influence in the land of Babylon and the story of God continued to be told and understood throughout generations and generations. During that time, Jeremiah 29, and this really pumps me up because we stand on this scripture all the time, 1 through 14. But when Israel was in captivity and bondage, Jeremiah gave a word for the people that we use all the time in our lives. And, and Jeremiah said, these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem and Babylon. Verse 4, he told him, go minister to him. Go to the people. Go tell them about the things of God. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat in their, their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Uh, Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for it is for the welfare 
for it is welfare you will find welfare. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let the prophets for your diviners who among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus saith the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to the place. And this is a famous scripture we like to stand on. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope, and find, and you will find me. Or, excuse me, then you will call upon me and, and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I'll restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations, all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I'll bring you back to a place from where I sent you into exile. Now, I rambled through that because I'm racing the clock now, but I want us to hear this today. I want us to see this today because the prophecy that I think that he gave to them back in the day, he gives to Christian believers today. This property, prophecy is for us today, and the center of this prophecy is there's going to be a Christ. The Magi, the first point of the five things I can glean from this was that, that they were teachable. We must be teachable. The Magi had heard for generations from Daniel and Jeremiah, from generation to generation to generation, they were taught teachable the things of God. And because of that, they were always looking and seeking the Christ. They were going after this Christ. That's where we need to be. We know the word of God. We know the things of God. It has been taught to us. Are we prepared? Are we pressing in? Are we living for him and nothing else? We need to realize that this world is not our home. The Israelites that were in this bondage in there, if you notice in the scripture that it said 70 years, I'll come and get you after 70 years. But while you're there, you do this. And the Lord's really hit me that this isn't our home. This is not our home. Heaven is our home. And we're guaranteed 70 years in the things of God. And some people will tell you 80 plus years in the things of God that, that, that God guarantees us. But why we are here. We are exiles, but we're to be amongst the people. We're to marry. We're to talk about the things of God. We're to do the things of God. We're to bring them to Christ. That's our main emphasis. And to be as aggressive as, as, as the Israelites were back in the day. Believers are called to serve God and the people around us. God asked them to do it. And God is asking us to serve him and the people around us while we're here in this life. Because when we do this, we'll affect lives for generations to come. It affected King Nebuchadnezzar then. It affected the people of Babylon then, through generations through the Magi, through generations to even Mary and Joseph and the Christ, and then to us today, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later, it has affected us, what they did back then. Did you guys ever think about that? Last night as I was reading the covenant with you guys in Deuteronomy, and it talked about when we seek God and give our marriage and our lives to God, that he'll be steadfast in his faithfulness to us. He'll bless us to the thousandth generation. And you're seeing it in the scripture right here. 
And he's saying to you today, if you're faithful to him today, he's going to be faithful to your family to the thousandth generation.